Achieving success, being healthy and wealthy, and lifelong happiness is anyone's ultimate dream. In the grand scheme of things, self-doubt limits you from achieving great things. The path towards the zenith of success and controlling your life is at your hands. This is the Unlimited Influence. Reprogram your subconscious mind with Dr. David Snyder. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Self Connection in Isolation exclusive interview series. Today we're up to interview number 18 and we've got another phenomenal soul by the name of Dr. David Snyder in the house ready to create some magic and what I wanted to just um, tell you guys about is just a little tiny snippet of David's amazing background and his expertise uh, just so you have a little taste and flavor of who he is before we dive into these amazing questions. So Dr. David Snyder is recognized as one of the world's leading experts in hypnosis, NLP and mind-body technologies for peak performance, persuasion and covert influence. Uh, He's a hypnosis trainer, master practitioner and trainer in NLP and the Society of Experiential Trance. He's the founder and creator of the CPI, conversational persuasion and influence system and david also holds a master's of arts degree in acupuncture and oriental uh, medicine from southern california university of health sciences where he pioneered the use of hypnotic technique in combination with acupuncture therapy and also holds ninth degree black belt in the martial arts so that's kind of crazy to me it feels like it's just like whoa like where does it stop Um, So I'm very, very excited to um, dive into this with you, David, um, because I came across your work on YouTube um, probably maybe a year or so ago. Um, but I was diving into my own NLP courses and, and study and really loved what you're all about. So I'd love to start with asking you, David, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Most grateful for besides my family? Uh, yeah. Every single subscriber and student and person who's ever found benefit or, or derived any any form of value from the materials that we've put out, um, I, I'm grateful for them every moment of every day. And that includes the people on this podcast, because not only do they come to me, you know, with a problem that, that maybe I have an answer to, but not, they, they take those solutions that they get for themselves and then they go out and they share it with other people. They pay it forward. And so one by one, person by person, they're changing the world, even though they don't, they don't realize that they're doing that, but they have, they come away with the ability to help the people they care about and to show people that, that there's hope, that there's a better way to do something, that there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And so more than anything, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to, to share and, and, and to connect with people like that. That's what I'm grateful for. Oh, that's awesome. And I love that because it's the ripple effect. You know, you don't know how many people's lives you can change and influence and impact um, from the work that you're doing. So, and you definitely have done that in my own work. And and given the concepts of NLP um, are more, I don't know, just like a different angle, a different perspective, which has allowed myself to just, you know, work through and understand the concepts better and then be able to apply them to my life a hell of a lot better. So, Very grateful for that. And I also want to know um, if you could, um, before we dive into the main questions, I'd love to just um, for you to explain to other people out there um, kind of what inspires you? I mean, I feel like you just kind of dove into a bunch of it then, but what inspires you in the work that you do and, you know, the many different lenses that you have? What inspired? Well, that that's that I, I, that that almost always takes me to a very long, twisted, and often dark and depressing origin story. But um, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of the things that I enjoy now, a lot of the advantages that I I, I have, or the things I've discovered, or that were you know taught to me by the, the amazing mentors that I've had, uh, I didn't. I, I came from a very dark place. I grew up in a in a very uh, emotionally, if not physically, abusive household. I was I was the classic bully kid. Um, I was emotionally sensitive. I, you know, the, the, you know, the kid that always gets picked last for all the, all the athletic games, the guy's bigger around than he is tall. That was me, you know, and, and early on, I, I can't remember the exact age that it, that it happened, but there was something in me that just kind of said, you know what, 
I've got to find a way to fix this. I've got to find a way to fix me. Um, and, and so I just became ravenous in, in my desire to acquire more personal power, to become more of the person that I wanted to be rather than the person that nature and society and genetics conspired to make me. And so I just started reading book after book, going to course after course and, and finding a little gold nugget here and a little gold nugget there. And every now and then I would, I would find one of those radioactive gold nuggets in that big mound of poop and it would be like, <laughs> the lights would come on and, and my life would change. And over the, over the year, I've made it kind of my mission to kind of sort through all the poop that's out there and find those little radioactive gold nuggets and put them in my little bag and just kind of hold on to them. And every now and then I'd take them out and I'd look at them. And yes, I'm using a metaphor. And I yeah. find out that these, that these radioactive gold nuggets that, um, that I found were actually more like Legos, that you put them together in different configurations and in different ways. And when you did it in certain ways, the result that you got was greater than the sum of the parts. Even though each piece by itself was like nuclear and its ability to create an effect, when you mm -hmm. stack them together in the right way, literal magic would happen. And so... When I, see, when, I, when I see somebody take those pieces, whether they get them directly from me or one of my students, and I see the lights come on, mm. I see the shift in them, and, and they can't go back to being that old person, that, that inspires me. That make, that just, it's, it's both gratifying and humbling work at the same time, because it's like, there are things, and, and you'll hear me say this, if you ever watch any of my videos, you'll hear me say this, I'll look at somebody who comes in with like 20 years of chronic pain, they'll take, they'll pull it out, they'll, they'll point to it, take it out, spin it, put it back in, 20 years of pain goes away and doesn't come back, and I'll just sit there and go, that shit shouldn't work, <laughs> you know, that just shouldn't work, but when you do things in the right way, the neurology literally unlocks, and you can create powerful changes, and, and, and once people have that epiphany, we call it seeing the matrix, yeah. And they, they become voracious to tap into, you know, who they can really be. And to me, that that's the empowering part. So part of it is to eliminate as much suffering as humanly possible, but at the same time to show people what's possible, the magic inherent in their own neurology. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. And I, I really, really resonated and I loved your analogies with the radioactive gold nuggets and the poop. I, I, um, I really resonate with that um, because I tend to call myself a bit of the human guinea pig of personal development, which is what you're kind of articulating then. I've myself up more times trying to fix myself than I can count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and then not only being able to help and transform yourself, you know, and then being able to share what's been valued with you with um for you with others and have those aha moments those epiphanies those wakings up to the matrix is mm -hmm. awesome so i loved what you said in terms of um you know your work is predominantly focused on eliminating suffering mm -hmm. and it really leads me into the next question because with this pandemic sweeping the globe right now uh, you know a lot of people are ending in suffering um and you know there's a lot to to think about in this realm you know you know be you know being real like being real getting into realism but you know also um i'd wonder if you could share with us you know what is your perspective through your multitude of amazing lenses uh mm -hmm. you know work that you do in your expertise um how are you viewing this pandemic and uh what are you what are you seeing what that's happening well it depends i'm seeing lots of things on a lot of different levels on one level it's it's uh it's an and it's an excellent um study in mass influence in other words you know how these different groups are conspiring to create fear panic to uh to get the masses to believe a certain thing or behave a certain way and of course you have the counter manipulation where it's all a hoax and a conspiracy so it's interesting from a social influence perspective how all these different factions are, are kind of buffeting people who don't understand the forces that are being applied to them and and tapping into their fear responses and their amygdala and their emotional brain and just overwriting their, their ability for rational thoughts or, or analytical thinking. So that's one, on another level, um, you're seeing just how far people will be pushed before they push back. You know, human beings, uh, we're fear, we're, we're freedom oriented people. We're very, we tend to be very fearful because we're hardwired for it, but we're also very, very freedom oriented. And we get, no matter how fearsome the, the enemy is, you know, whether you believe COVID is just a cold, 
or it's like the next level, it's the next bubonic, it's the bubonic plague of the 21st century. It's the fear that's more damaging to us than anything else. Mm. But no matter how fearful the enemy, human beings will only, they'll only back up or they'll only shrink so far before they dig their feet, they dig their heels in the sand and they say no more and they start to push back and they get what we call reactant. And they, you know, now you see people walking up and down defying authority. Why? Because their freedoms have been encroached on in, in, in whatever way that, that they feel it is whether it's because of the you know the laws preventing hairdressers from actually cutting hair which is i don't know if that's happening down where you are but up here they're passing laws and threatening to put hairstylists in jail for for cutting hair um but people but i think also what what you see is there's two sides to everything and and while there's a tremendous amount of limitations that have been imposed on us these these isolated these these moments of isolation are also giving us opportunities they're giving us opportunities to connect and rebuild our families uh, and the family structures that we've lost largely over the last several decades because we're being forced now to actually deal with our kids, you know, not just send them off to school or daycare or soccer camp or, you know, a piano lesson, you know, where they have like 27 activities, you know, we're also getting to see, you know, so I think there's opportunities there, but it's also an opportunity for us to learn how to deal with the fear that we're creating realizing that the information we don't have a lot of control not that that scares human beings because we we labor under the belief that we have control of everything and we don't the only thing that we truly have control over is ourselves not the things that happen to us but how we relate and think about the things that we encounter and depending on on how we decide to think about them how we decide to frame them in our minds determines whether we view something as an opportunity a death sentence or just an inconvenience or all points in between. So I think, you know, when you ask the question of what do I think about what's going on, it really depends on what level that we're asking about. I think, you know, as a student of human influence and I study, and again, I, every, I study everything from advanced marketing to, you know, conversational hypnosis, NLP, uh, and all these other different uh, modes of influence. To me, it, it's a fascinating study or often study of, of how these different factions are vying for the most powerful and most important real estate that's out there, which is the human minds. Mm, wow. My job, my job is to just help people become more aware at whatever level they need to become more aware at so that they have more choice. Mm. All the other agencies out there are trying to m remove your choice by usurping your emotions and causing you to, you know, respond from your reptile brain. Mm, interesting. And I, I love this. I love that. I love your perspective, like looking at it from a societal influential mm -hmm. um, kind of level. Um, and what is your perspective? I don't know if this is happening for you guys in the States, but um, here in Australia, they've created an app um, that we're supposed to, you know, download and, and then it, it'll tell us if we come into proximity with, um, you know, somebody who has contracted COVID 19 or, or whatever. Do you guys have, have, have you got I that? Personally, I'll be honest. I am personally not aware of it, but I got to tell you, I, I didn't even, I didn't even know I had, I didn't even know I had followers on Instagram until two days ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I am not, I mean, there's really only two or three platforms that I engage in. I'm, I'm on YouTube. I'm on yep. Facebook um, and Zoom, really. Are, yep. are, Instagram is very, very new to me. Uh, yep. So when you asked me to do an Instagram thing, I was like, oh, shit, what do I have to do? How do, how do I do that? Right? And here we are on Zoom anyway because David's a, David's a technical dunce and doesn't understand how to do that. But, um, but if there's an app, I'm not aware of it. That doesn't mean that there one that there doesn't one of them. The apps are very easy to create nowadays. My, my biggest yep. question is where do they get the database of people yeah you know, that are, are, are verified as having it and, and how does that affect privacy? So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I would say somebody somewhere has probably got it in some way, but I've never seen it. Yeah, for us, it's a, it's a government thing. So the government has created an app um, and so they've got obviously all, all of the information. And, and then, you know, I think Australia is uh, not, we're very similar to America, but we're not as connected to our, this sense of freedom as uh, the American population, my perception is. Um, so, yeah, it was just an interesting question because I know my, my kind of radar went up and I'm like, oh. I, don't know that the, I don't know that that would sit well with the American people. No. I'll probably one out there that yeah. 
but it may have restricted use. I could be wrong. I bet after people watch this video, they're going to go searching for it all over the place. And if it hasn't been created yet, somebody will do it. But, exactly. uh, but uh, yeah, I don't, again, there's a lot of people who are, you know, conspiracy theorists abound and, you know, there's enough weird, you know, weird coincidences going on that, you know, there could be some, some small grain of truth to it, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy into conspiracy theories. I just look at interesting patterns. Yeah. So, you know, somebody heard that there's an app and then they'll, they'll go off the deep end with it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So, so I love what you just shared and, and um, what you shared was actually super empowering for people to know that, you know, it's not about the external world and what's going on as much as it is about your own fear and over, you know, and knowing that that's the only thing you can control is, you know, what you're going to make things mean and, and what you're creating that internal, um, what your perception is of the event. So, um, I'd love for you to share with people um, how they could really get clear on that and maybe apply it to their lives so that they can get clear on, you know, am I in fear and how could I prevent that? Like what could I do um, personally to make sure that, you know, I'm in control of the very thing that I can be in control of mm -hmm. and therefore not create, making it worse, making the situation worse than it already is. Okay. Well, first and foremost, we all need a reality check. From time to time you know um, but one of the things that happens is human beings tend to catastrophize especially when they're already in a fear mode now in some of my in some of my courses and some of my YouTube videos I talk about a, a phenomena known as the emotional refractory period okay mm -hmm. the emotional refractory period is a term that was coined by uh, the great dr. Paul Ekman uh, in his book emotions revealed and the, the behavior that the emotional refractory period engages in is that whenever whatever psycho-emotional state you're in at any given moment, whether you're happy, whether you're tense, whether you're relaxed, whether you're joyful, um, ecstatic, whatever. Whatever happens, your body likes to stay in whatever state it's at. It likes to stay there. And so what happens is when you shift into an emotional state, so let's say you're, you're normal, you're neutral, and then you go into an intense state of joy, okay? What happens is your body wants to stay there. They want that, it wants that to be the new normal. And so your neurology does something really interesting. It shifts what you pay attention to. So uh, I don't know if I can I don't know if I can share the screen with you, but let's say for for a moment that um, you're in a room, and in that room, there's ten units of information, ten thing, ten pieces of data that you could pay attention to. Two are inherently positive, and eight are inherently negative. Mm -hmm. The emotional refractory period controls what you orient on first. So in other words, if I walk into that room and I'm in a joyful state and there's two positive pieces of information and eight negative, I will orient on the positive pieces first, even though they're in the minority. So that emotional refractory period that you're in changes your perceptual filter in such a way that you only pay attention to what reinforces or re-triggers the state. So if we understand that piece, the first thing we have to do when we encounter any situation or circumstances, we have to check ourselves. We have to say, what state am I currently in? Right? And if, we're, if we already diagnosed that we're in an inherently negative state, we gotta break that state, first mm -hmm. and foremost. The fastest, easiest, most bulletproof way to change your psycho-emotional state anywhere, anytime, for any reason, is to change your posture and your breathing. Uh, Amy Cuddy did some amazing work. Um, I think it was, was it Stanford or, or Harvard. I can't remember. Um, and we talk about power poses. I talk about these power poses all the time, where if you stand this way for as little as two minutes, uh, in many cases, not only will your state change, but your blood chemistry will too. Not all the time, but many times. Enough, true, enough to be uh, a phenomenon. Now, for every psycho-emotional state that you have, there is a corresponding physiology and breathing pattern that enables it. So one of the drills that I do with my students many times is I'll have them stand up and remember a time in their life when they felt, uh, when, they, when they saw something they wanted, they decided they were going to get it no matter what, they made a plan, they put that plan into action, and they went for it and they nailed it home run and I have them relive that moment of triumph that moment of victory and I have them stand the way they were standing in that moment and breathe the way they were breathing in that moment and then I have them summon up 
all of their willpower. And while keeping their physiology exactly the same, their breathing patterns exactly the same, I have them consciously try to feel bad. Mm. And they can't do it. Because the physiology controls the psychology. And unless you are a special forces trained, uh, you know, soldier, a high level, high performance athlete, uh, uh, a very adept yogi, somebody who engages in a lot of these mind body practices, function, while, while we're taught the mind controls the body, and that's true enough to be true, functionally amongst the average human being, it's the physiology that dominates. Okay, and you can look, you can research Roy Baumeister's uh, willpower depletion theory to see how that, how that works out. But the bottom line is the most bulletproof, fastest way to change your emotional state and as a consequence, change your thinking mm -hmm. is to change your posture and your breathing. So when you find yourself in these depressed or fearful or contracted postures, if you're self-aware enough to physically spread your feet and take up more space, Within two minutes, your state will move, you will move from a nervous, anxious, depressed state to a confident, calm, stable, certain state. From that state, you are much better able to access your cognitive resources and you can process the information in your environment differently. Okay. So when we realize and when we find ourselves, and sometimes they, it sneaks up on us. So sometimes something will happen and we'll have this panic response. And the moment we feel that panic response and that little voice, the little, like a little hamster on a treadmill starts to wind up and give us all that negative dialogue, the fastest way to change it is to, is to change your posture, change your breathing. And, and, and that, if you can hold it for as little as two minutes, that will, that will, that will even things out. As long as you remember not to break that, that, because that's where you have to have a little bit of willpower is you have to have enough self-awareness to hold the state even though your body wants to change. Once you do that, now you can bring all of the cognitive resources you have to bear. Your analytical ability, your reasoning ability, your imagination is now back under your control instead of taking over. Now you can start to analyze or use other types of interventions that your state wouldn't have let you do before. Mm. Posture and breathing is where everything starts. So when you find yourself in fear, change your posture, change your breathing. Mm. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And I think that everybody can benefit from that, you know, in this lockdown, you know, or whatever's happening in your neck of the woods, exactly, you know, to be able to just notice, hey, I'm, I'm in fear right now, I'm not feeling good. And then just to even just notice how in that position, like at that point, and just notice what your physiology physiology is like at that point, and then be able to change it. And yeah, you mentioned um, Amy Cuddy, yeah. Um, Amy, did yeah. some, Amy did the science research. We've been teaching uh, work with poses and, and posture since 2004. Yeah, wow. Uh, actively teaching it to our students as, for, as an influence tool, but it starts with self-influence. And, we, we, and when, we, when we teach this in our groups, we also teach the inverse of it. We have them take on a negative posture and try to feel good, and they can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the, and, and so one of the things that, that we've, we've, we've found is that the ability to take conscious control of this by consciously just managing your physiology not trying to will yourself to be happy or or to be calm but to go into a physiology a body state of calmness it will overwrite whatever fear responses are in it no matter how strong they are it will it will put a a, a, a dead stop to it and so this is why we always teach physiology-based control first and then we teach them how once you've done that now we'll show you how to change the structure like an nlp or um, move it out of the body and, and, and work with it in different ways. Because when, when your system gets overridden like that, you, you, you lose the capacity to think, to think mm -hmm. and to integrate things. So the first thing that has to happen is we have to get our body back. Once we get our body back, our neurology follows. Awesome. Awesome. And, and yeah, it brings up another question um, in terms of like emotion. So um from my own personal experience, you know, when I entered personal development, it was very much, um, very much like, okay, no, just choose your emotional state. Just if you're not feeling good, just change it, change it. Like, and, and yes, you can use the physiology and, and whatnot. But at this point where I'm at right now, um, I've actually had to go kind of almost the other way and go, what are these emotions? Like, mm -hmm. what? and bring them out and actually feel through them more. Yep. Um, and so I wonder your perspective, because 
my coach, one of my coaches that I'm using right now, um, he, he doesn't really like the NLP model. And mm -hmm. see, I, I, he hasn't studied NLP. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally have. And I, I'm a bit like you in terms of I, I can see how they all fit together. It's not necessarily about having one or the other. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so my question for you is um, very much around, because a lot of people who, haven't, who don't know the work of NLP, but they just have a perception of it, um, they think it's about neglecting your true um, emotional experience and just changing it, but it's actually just stuffing the emotion down and, you know, can come out in a very unconscious way. So my question to you is what, is, what would you say to those people and, and how does feeling through your actual true emotional state come into play versus um, you know, just change your physiology, change your state of being, and and how does that kind of integrate? Well, first of all, I've been, I, you know, as as well known as I am in the NLP fields, I've also been very critical at times uh -huh. of, of classical okay. NLP, and it's and it's and it's reliance on dissociation. Mm. You know, the, the problem that we have many times is, is I, and I take a very vibrational, holographic approach to my NLP. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, I thought about calling it vibrational NLP or holographic neurolinguistics. Um, but there's two languages that you're dealing with in the body. You've got the language of the body itself and then human language. And so feelings are part of the language of the body. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and, and there's a that VAK coding system or visual auditory kinesthetic olfactory gustatory coding system that also forms the building block of our spoken language is also directly analogous to the code that runs the rest of the system. And so, in a mindfulness approach, which is what you're talking about, basically, where you're, you're, you feel this feeling and you just kind of go into it and you just sit with it and you, and you, and you go deeper into it. That's a very powerful and very, very uh, good approach. And mm -hmm. from as many insights, and there's nothing wrong with that. It works tremendously well. I, I teach variations of it because it's useful. Um, one of the things you can tell when you, a true neurolinguistic programmer, all they care about is does it work? Yeah. You know, that's that, that, you know, when someone is espousing the doctrine of NLP, I run the other way because a, a true neurolinguistic programmer looks at someone and says, does it work? How does it work? How do I teach you to do it? How do I do it? And how do we do it faster? Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, but sometimes being mindful isn't practical. Okay. You know, when, you know, when the, uh, you know, when your car gets run off the road, your, your child is in the backseat, you got to get them out. Being mindful with your fear is probably not going to be the best, <laughs> the best result. You know, yeah. uh, changing your posture, changing your breathing gets you out of that paralysis yeah. and gets you into action. So it really depends on context. What we like to do is an integrative approach. We want to start, even when we're dealing with emotions that like alchemical work, where we're clearing shit, for lack of a better word, shit being a technical term, specialized <laughs> influence technology. But anyway, um, yeah. the secret, this, it's, everything starts with the body. State control starts with the body emotional cleansing or emotional transformation or transmutation starts mm -hmm. with the body as well. The difference with, with like a kind of mind, we do like I call active mindfulness where we're not just sitting with it. We're going into it and we're going to actually interact with the structure, the substance and the story simultaneously. And depending on where the, the, mm -hmm. the lion's share of the work needs to be done, that's what we're going to do. And it, and it sounds complicated, but it actually just goes down to, point to where you feel it uh -huh. for every single emotional state that you have, there's going to be a body location. And I could go into all the, you know, the theory behind why that's true. But if you think of your body, like a big cloud server or a hard drive where you have an experience, it's encoded and then it's like a cloud server just uploaded to the cloud. That is your body and your neurology. You got pieces all over the place, but when you encounter a situation or a circumstance that isn't even remotely similar to something you've, you've encoded or, or stored previously, the call goes out to all those areas and it reconstructs those feelings so you have an idea of what to do about it or what you did before, right? There's competing theories on, on how and why that works. Both support what we do. They don't negate them in any way. But it's always going to be a body feeling. Even somebody who's dissociated, someone who has like dissociative identity disorder, many times when you have them point to where they feel it, they'll point, but they'll point outside their body. And as you, as you, clear, these, as you clear the traumas, Mm. Their, their association will start to change. They'll, they'll start to reintegrate into the body. So one of the things that you can do 
is point to where you feel it. We call that a somatic address. Next thing you do is you look at it with your inner eyes. It's kind of a mindfulness thing. And then you ask yourself if there were a color connected to that feeling, what color would it be? There's always going to be a color. Unconscious mind, oh, and, and there's six dynamics when you're doing this kind of work that you need to you need to slavishly pay attention to if you want to do really good self-work in a really quick way. The unconscious mind always answers first. Largest, largest component of your unconscious mind is your body. Your feet. And that's something that a lot of classically trained hypnotists forget. Because this is what the average hypnotist, the average hypnosis client in the chair looks something like this. <laughs> right? And we're talking to the subconscious mind, but we're leaving the biggest piece of the subconscious mind untapped the physical body itself. So when you get that piece back into the process, you can resolve very deep, very intense emotions very, very quickly. And what often happens as a byproduct of that intervention is you get a spontaneous epiphany, a spontaneous perspective shift, just like you would in a mindfulness type of interaction where you're just going deep into it and you're sitting with those feelings and all of a sudden it clears and you have this sudden insight. Many times automatically, you'll get those insights. You'll have that perspective shift that lets you know it's completely clear. Uh, and you'll get, and you'll see things, you'll, you'll get epiphanies you didn't know you, that were there, but there's buried in the emotion. But you point to where you feel it, you turn it into a color. And then depending on, on your level of skill set, you can ask your nervous system, if your unconscious mind, your autonomic nervous system knew exactly where this started, how it started, when it started, and could send you a feeling, a color, a vibration that would completely dissolve that away. What color would it send me? First answer, imagine a big ball of it above your head, breathe it through the effective area, and a large percentage of the time, it'll go away. Mm -hmm. Rest of the time, it'll go, if, let's say the area that you're working on is this big, you breathe that, that color through the area, it, it drops to this. That means you've hit another shell. That's a different issue. And so a lot of times we call this the Russian doll effect, where you can just literally color breathe until it just goes away completely. Another thing that can happen is what we call body mapping, where you do the same process. This is a very simple process. It can be done in seconds. I do it with my five-year-old and it yeah. works everything. Okay. It works perfect. It works great with adults too. As long as you can get them to follow the process. It's a mechanical process. They don't have to believe it. They just got to do it. Mm -hmm. So what happens is let's say I have something here and I breathe a color through it and it goes away. Now all of a sudden I'll get something here. So it'll go one, two, and I'll clear that and then it'll go here and then it'll go here. And it's just kind of spider webbing all over my body. We call that body mapping. And it's, it's pretty much the same way. It's pretty much the same concept as the Russian doll effect is there's, there, there's, there are different but related issues that the unconscious mind, the neurology has put together based on something they have in common, right? These are simple, very um, content free interventions that anybody can do. Uh, and all they have to do is get their posture back, get their state under control, point to where they feel it and ask what color it is. Your unconscious mind will give you the response. It has to. The unconscious mind always answers first. It always answers honestly. It's always going to feel like you're making it up. <laughs> you know, it's always going to feel like you're making it up. You're always going to have an urge to edit what just came up. Yeah. It's never going to be loud. It's always going to be soft or quiet, like a whim or a notion in the back of your mind. And it's mm -hmm. almost never going to be linear. If you, got, if you start doing deeper level of chemical work, like regression or timeline, and you go back to the very first scene or situation or event that is the source, the beginning, the root cause, many times people come in, they have an expectation, well, I've, I've, I've been afraid of heights since I was 15, so I must, I'm must. i going to go back to that time on the ladder when I was 15. All of a sudden, they're three years old at the top of the staircase, right? And you're like, what? Right? That's why you as, a, as an operator, whether you're, you're doing this on yourself or you're doing it with a client, if you teach them these six, these six principles before you do any intervention, they're dramatically more successful than if you try to explain it afterwards. A lot of times when people are using hypnosis or NLP or anything that involves trance, for lack of a better word. Um, they're going and thinking that going into a trance means they become a vegetable. Like they're anesthetized, they're drunk, they're gonna be asleep, they're not gonna be aware of anything. And then when the experience doesn't match what their expectation is, they invalidate it in some way. But if you tell them these principles, prior to doing any intervention, everything they encounter reinforces that they're doing it right and that they're getting the effect they're supposed to get. It doesn't sound like a big deal. But when you're dealing with clients who are you know, high on the neurotic end, and again, most of us, right now are higher on the neurotic end than normal because of everything that's going on. Um, 
we tend to have a little bit more self-doubt. We don't, we, we, we think we know, but you know, so these things help us to go through the change process better. These are very simple processes that you can use. They're, they're kind of like in the moment, but they do have a mindfulness component to them in that I'm finding the somatic address. I'm going into it and I'm paying attention to it just like I would in, uh, in, in just a mindfulness type meditation, MBSR or you know, CBIMSR with cognitive mindfulness. There's a lot of them out there now. But now we're going into the structure of it. We're taking the feeling and turning it into a color, which activates different cortex of the brain. Yeah. The moment you access a different cortex of the brain, you've taken the same data and changed it in such a way that now more you actually gain more access and more brain real estate marshaled towards the solution of the problem. And the more you get the physical body engaged, like when, we, when you've seen our spinning techniques, for example, yeah. right? and we point you, feel it, take notice the color, reach in, take it out, you get that physical body engaged now. Now you've got all of the cortex of the brain, the exteroceptors, the interoceptors, nociception, the canoreception, the five visual cortex, the visual auditory kinesthetic, olfactory, gustatory. The brains lighten up like a Christmas tree. Mm. And the more you get that body engaged, the more of the brain lights up in alignment towards a common goal. Mm. And so when you see people like spin something and it just goes away. It's because I, the lion's share of the neurological resources that we have have been organized and communicated with that every part knows what to do. That's why the things happen. The change work can be fast and it can be very pervasive and permanent because all of you is doing something rather than just a tiny piece. You ever notice that the more conversational hypnosis that's involved, the longer the stuff takes? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's not that these, these our body work or a regular Reiki or I'm, I got more energy credentials than McDonald's sells hamburgers. Yeah. My, and, and my biggest, my big, and I'm, a, I'm an acupuncturist. I do energy medicine for a living. My, my biggest criticism is that they don't address the full spectrum of a human being. They don't, they address the physical body. To some extent, they address the energy body, but they don't address the mental body. Mm. So we need an integrative approach. We need to get the mind, the imagination, the body and the breath all working together. And when you point it at something, now you get a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. But um, and that was probably a lot more than you were asking for, but I hope, I hope it's helpful. Oh my gosh, so good. I'm just like taking copious notes. I've got pages going on here. I'm trying to throw them out. Like, um, so no, so good. And um, yeah, and I, I, that really resonates with me to have more of an integrative approach because it's almost like um, there can be these different societies or different communities of, you know, great um, tools and techniques and, and strategies, but um, but yeah, it's, it's really important to go, go in and, and take what's really valuable and integrate it into a system that actually works yeah. um, and it's not leaving anything uh, left undone. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. the other part is I'm really competitive. So <laughs> I, mean, I, want the, I want to have the best stuff on the planet. So if you've got something that works faster and better than mine, I'm going to be at your seminar next. Yeah. So, because uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not about doctrine, I'm dogma or, or, you know, the, the doctrine of NLP, the doctrine of mindfulness. All I care about is that it works and it works better than what's gone before. Because that's all, that's all your clients care about. At the end of the day, when we go to a professional, for whatever reason, all we care about is that we walk out of their office better than when we went in. Yeah. And with very few exceptions, do they care how we got the change? Mm. Do you understand? I don't care if they, you know, if you kind of, if they had you close their eyes, sing the Star Spangled Banner backward and wave a dead chicken over their head as long as they got out of the chair, better than they got in it. Yeah. You know, unless you're a diehard vegan or animal rights activist, which I'm probably <laughs> putting them out there, right? But my point is, is that focus on what works. Test everything. See what works good for, best for you. Remember that not every tool works as well on everybody. Um, and have, and when, you, when you start working with enough people, patterns will start to emerge. You'll start to see things from a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. once, you can, once you can look at the world, and that was one of the biggest things that NLP taught me to do, was to look at the world in terms of pattern, process, and structure, mm -hmm. rather than content. Content's important, don't get me wrong, which is something that is a direct, um, direct, uh, a direct deviation from the NLP doctrine. They say there's no content and content worth knowing. Horseshit. Sometimes yeah. that, that movie's really important. Uh, and and but there, so there's a lot of things that NLP brought to the table, but there's a lot of things it didn't look at either. And yeah. so 
you know, the, we need to keep we need to keep researching and finding better ways to to help people move forward and get the life they want. Oh, absolutely. Like this is just, yeah, I'm really enjoying this conversation and hearing what you're talking about here because it, yeah, resonates with how I live my life. And I love learning from a diverse range of different people to see what's working for other people and how it integrates, like you say. So totally. So what I heard you say, um, for people at home and they're like, oh, like, okay, so I, you know, I might, I might, point to the part of the body where I'm feeling what I'm feeling right now, name it a color, all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, and, and then where did this come from? Where was the first time? So what I'm hearing from what you said was by doing that, people are actually going to be able to incorporate all these different parts of themselves, which are bringing different angles of intelligence and point it directly to the challenge or the problem at hand so that you've got all of you working towards a solution. Um, Okay. As opposed to a lot of us who just feel the fear and then we're like, I never want to feel that. Like I'm just going to focus on this thing over here or avoid that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's um, so it's a it's a ticket out of it's like a, a ticket to freedom or liberation by actually putting all of your consciousness toward it. It gives you tools and it gives you an understanding that no matter what you're feeling inside, you have the power to take control of it. You have the power to change it. It's just nobody showed you how it all comes together. Um, you know, you have massage, you have acupuncture, you have Reiki, you have pranic healing, you have Bankston, you have matrix, you have yoga, you know, all these different systems. And each of them is a specialty and does one thing really, really well. And it can work. But when you integrate these things in a certain way, a way that brings all the systems of your system together, you get a whole lot greater than the sum of the parts. And if I take credit for the synthesis, not the source. Uh, all, everything I learn, everything I do, I learned from somewhere. Yeah. You know, I had great teachers. I was very, very fortunate to have people who could show me some really cool shit. And mm-hmm. I was given lots of opportunities <laughs> to have to use it, you know, uh, whether by deliberate intention or because I was just, I was in that situation or circumstance. There was nobody else who could do the work and everybody was looking at me. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I was the person that needed to do the work and have the work done on them at the same time. So, you know, life experiences are, the world will teach us far more than any, any course I could put out, but we have to look at the world from the eyes of what does this situation have to teach me? What can I learn from this? Just taking that perspective and said, oh my God, this is being imposed on me. Yeah. How else can I think about this? How else can I look at this? And, the, and just the act of doing that gives you choices. It gives you back your autonomy. It gives you back your freedom because now you realize you're not stuck this way. You can think about it this way or this way or this way or this way. And of course, you see things you didn't see before. You hear things or, or become aware of things you didn't see before. But yeah, in a nutshell, we want to bring all of you to bear on one thing. And now it's Godzilla versus Bambi. And Bambi's the problem. <laughs> That's flipping the cards a little bit. Yeah, I like it. Oh, cool. um, Yeah, definitely. That's cool. And and uh, and I, I also what you said before, um, which I think is really important for people at home, is um, you don't have to believe it. Nope. Just, it's not just give it a go. Yeah. It's a mechanic. Uh, it's mechanic. If you just do the process and you just allow mm-hmm. yourself to be as absorbed as you're willing to be allowed in that yep. process, you're going to get some degree of change. And then from there, you just do it again. That's yeah. the beauty of it. Some people go from like a, you know, a nine, 9.9 trauma level to zero in one pass. Some people go from 9.9 to 8.7 to 6.5. And some people don't have, I've seen it, just be relentless and be mm-hmm. playful, be curious, uh, but change your state first. The moment you change your state, you get your power back. Mm-hmm. You your state is by changing your posture and your breathing. Mm, that's awesome i love that and i want to also just touch upon um just to give maybe um a bit of a bit of history or example like what's been one of the biggest challenges that you know you've personally um had to overcome because i know you mentioned like yeah you you've used these processes right um but what's been one of the biggest ones um that you've transcended or or however you put it um overcome or move through or broken through um and yeah just (laughs) um question i think the 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 biggest one i think for me 
was overcoming the, the, the really, really visceral, deep feelings of betrayal that I experienced early on in, uh, in my life, in my, my late teens, early 20s. I went through a really, really dark period where mm-hmm. everything I thought was true about myself, the world, the people in it, turned out to be completely false, completely smoke and mirrors. And it, it decimated, it, it really decimated who I thought I was, where I thought I was going, what I thought I believed in, the people I thought I could count on. And it took me decades of, of work to, to realize, A, that I had to go through those things mm-hmm. on one level. I had to go. It didn't stop me from being pissed off about it, right? Because it's not, it's, here's the thing that most people think of, forget when they go through these moments of insight. Just because you have this moment that you, you have this epiphany that you had to go through that, that what you learned from it couldn't have happened any other way, doesn't always make the anger go away. You still got to clean that shit up. And so, and so while I still look back on those times at the person I was and, and, and the people who betrayed my trust and, and broke my heart and all those things, um, I still, I, I felt, you know, even though I learned a lot, I learned a huge, huge amount. I'm still learning when I go back and I revisit those experiences. But learning how to remove those feelings mm-hmm. and the reason behind those feelings, the energy of those feelings from my body and transmute them into something else. That was probably the single biggest um, challenge I've ever faced because I'm, I'm one of those people, I don't know if you know anything about handwriting analysis, but people have very heavy, very, uh, like when, you, when, they, when they write their name, like if you feel the back of the paper, it's like they wrote in braille, you can feel the bumps on yeah. the very heavy writers. I have yeah. writing that would scar desks. I, I hold on, I, I'm the kind of person to hold on to shit forever, <laughs> yeah. forever. And, and so for me to find things, to find very powerful, very strategic, tactical ways to go back, release those things, re, re-experience them from a different perspective, extract lessons from them, to, re, to remove them from my mind, remove them from my body, has been my life's work. And, and, and the biggest one uh, that goes hand in hand with that was what you talked about earlier on was fear. I was the poster child for fear. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid to go out of my house for for years. Um, and, and, and everywhere I looked, I saw enemies. Everywhere I looked, I saw people who uh, I thought were out to hurt me in some way. You know, and, and it took me decades of, of self-work and introspection. It was part of my journey to become more personally powerful within myself. Uh, and as a result of that, suddenly I'm, I'm helping all these other people who are going through the exact same things I went through in their way and the mm-hmm. techniques I discovered and, and the things I did for me. Now I'm very upfront. I didn't develop any of this stuff for any of you people. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I developed it for me because I was in pain. I was suffering. I, I, I had a life that I, I, I just, I said, this is good. No, I just said no. And I just was determined to find whatever I could to, to, mm-hmm. to make that change. And, and we need to be relentless in that respect. You know, there's many times in our life where we, we, we run up against obstacles. And even when we think we have an answer, it's going to be something that kind of gets in our way. And we need to decide to go over, around, through, whatever. We need that relentlessness to it. Relentlessness is the ultimate survival trait. That's mm-hmm. playful. You got those two, you're going to win no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, is that getting over that sense of betrayal, that hurt, and, and the fear of constantly being betrayed or stabbed in the back or, or junk those were the two biggest things for me and they were the, they were very much the um the driving forces for me and I, I think in the courses that we've created um we've i've taken those experiences and and people with similar experiences and what i've learned from them and i've given people a tool set that they can go out and they can read people and they can begin to understand personality and motivations and they can understand social dynamics in a way that we didn't have the opportunity to learn and understand and they can get the life they want so for me, though, that fear and betrayal, I think, are probably the two biggest ones. Boom. Well, I'm really grateful I asked you that question because I think that's going to really resonate with a lot of people um, who, who do have those experiences, those challenges. And I, for one, am grateful for your challenges because you, do, you have created amazing work in this world and you continue to do so. And I just really want to acknowledge you for the human being that you are, for the work that you do, for the challenges that you've had and overcome and 
for everything that you've you know gone out into the world and learned about in such a diverse range and brought it all together into this synergy and um, it's allowed to you know benefit other people and like we spoke about at the beginning really have that ripple effect you mm -hmm. know um, over the people that you're helping so thank you so much for that it's my honor Hmm, absolutely. And thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, it's been such an honor to get to finally meet you. And I've been following a lot of your work, um, you know, like I said, over the past year or so. So very, very grateful. And I wondered if you could share with everybody where they could best find more about you and the work that you're doing and, and any recommendations that you have for them um, sure. to begin on this journey of, um, you know, self Self-influence, yeah. Well, obviously, you have an amazing, amazing podcast channel and on Instagram, and I'm sure that's where this, this will be. Uh, so definitely, you have uh, you have access to some really high-level thinkers, you know, thought leaders and, and things like that. So obviously, you have some great insights there. For those of you who want more, to find out more about what we do here at NLP Power, uh, you can check out our free YouTube channel, David Snyder NLP at uh, YouTube. Uh, you can also go to nlppower.com, www.nlppower.com. And uh, we have an events page of upcoming events, which are now all virtual until these quarantines go away. But we haven't canceled any events. We're still doing them. We're doing them all on Zoom. People are loving it. Um, they would still much rather be in the room with me, but they're amazed at what we're able to do uh, through the Zoom interface. And so mm -hmm. ask for more could actually ask for more classes to be done through Zoom, believe it or not. Uh, so that's another way that you can do it. Uh, if you have any questions about where to go because if you go to our, our nlp power website you're going to see a huge amount of product everything for people who want to be therapists so people who want to be more influential who people just want to fix themselves and sometimes it can be a little daunting if you give us a call at 858-282-4663 that's 858-282-4663 my my administrative goddess stephanie We'll happily uh, give you our recommendations for getting you from where you are to where you want to be in the shortest amount of time possible. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I'll have this interview out to everybody across the platforms with all those links so that they can definitely make the most of the amazing work that you're doing. And uh, again, just want to thank you for your time and look forward to everything that you're doing. And please, you know, if there's anything that I could personally be doing to support you and your amazing work, um, always up for um, helping and supporting in any way I can. Excellent. Thank you so much, Vanessa. It's been a pleasure. You're so welcome. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Unlimited Influence Reprogram Your Subconscious Mind with Dr. David Snyder. Stay updated by visiting at www.davidsnydernlp.com and follow social media accounts. If you want to reprogram your subconscious mind, don't hesitate to call me at 858-282-4663 and we can talk more about what your mind has to offer.